0: We are in week two of our series called I Once Believed, reframing a traditional Christian past. And having welcomed and celebrated Daxton and Cohen makes for a perfect opportunity to talk about baptism, to remember some of the ways that we were taught about baptism, if we want to go there, and to wonder what it means when we celebrate these children in a ritual of belonging today. thank you to all of you who have kind of uh taken up the invitation as we approach this series to to share with me some of your thoughts about the beliefs along the way that that have been a challenge for you or that you've moved on from or uh, found new meanings in as as you go along in in your life and um and I'll share some of those uh, that shared some of the things about today's topic as we go along here today. But we're going to start our track by recognizing that cultures and religions the whole world over have various initiation and purification rituals. This uh, may even go without saying. Uh, we as a uh, we, we as a church or the Christian faith is not unique in that area. Some use water, others don't. But Uh, it's certainly not unique to christianity and in fact the christian practice of baptism was was really an echo of things that had been going on uh, in millennia before uh, jesus ever came along so in fact um, egyptian rituals uh, worshiping sun gods and at the same time uh, having a, a, a ritual of involving water uh, the christian practice is a, is also a modification of jewish ritual practices involving washing and bathing and sprinkling and immersing and anyway all that history aside the christian church ended up with a ritual of baptism as a way of entry into the faith you want to be a christian you get baptized but here's what's happened in the process and um, It's a little trek through history, and for that, uh, if history's not your thing, I apologize. If it is, you'll love it. Um, The early church took these rituals of initiation and cleansing and tied them together with some very influential theologians, and we're talking about like in the 2nd and 3rd century here, a long, long time ago. Theologians like St. Augustine of Hippo... uh, who had particular bees in their bonnet at that time and an unhealthy preoccupation, one might even say, with original sin. That's not something we talk much about nowadays, but boy, if you were in the second and third century, that was the topic. What that means is basically, in a nutshell, uh, the belief that, that all humans inherit uh, the sin that, that, that was created by Adam in the Garden of Eden, I mean, a mythological story for one thing, but uh, they wouldn't have said that in the 2nd and 3rd century. Um, and that every human is born into that same sin and needs to somehow find their way out of it or be redeemed by, uh, from it, uh, saved from it. So thanks to all these uh, theologians in the 2nd and 3rd century, we're still, we're still dealing with the fallout we 're still dealing with the fallout um, as much as we don 't talk about it much here, or maybe in you know other kind of liberal uh, United Church or other denominational circles, uh, it still has an impact and we 'll talk about that in a minute. The result of all of this was that um, the bible the, the canon of the Bible was not yet closed, which means they were still deciding what what should go in and what shouldn 't so all of this was happening, and um, Because there were these folks with a preoccupation around um, original sin, the result was the books and translations of texts to support that view ended up in the Bible. Uh, And the emphases were cast at that point. The interpretations codified. All those decisions elevated the ritual of baptism into an act of repentance and forgiveness of sins. Necessary for church membership. So if you were going to be a part of the Christian church, you had to somehow get rid of that get rid of that original Adam sin. You had to get rid of it somehow. So the way to do that was to be forgiven, to be washed clean, symbolically. Um, And thus you would uh, assure your entry into heaven. And the importance of the destiny of your everlasting soul was decided, so decreed the church. Okay, that's all terrible. I hate talking about that. Uh, But you know, I guess every once in a while I have to see that my theological education didn't go to total waste, which is what I think most of the time, by the way. (sighs) In short, the church became about sin management. In baptism, they had a blunt tool. Here's where I get nasty. The church had a blunt tool that said humans are born sinful and only through accepting Jesus as the one way out of the sinful state would a person be saved from that fate. And how does one demonstrate that belief and acceptance through baptism? So, to put it simply, the church had a means to control behavior. That's what it was. The threat of hell and the reward of heaven would keep everyone in line. And, for the most part, it kind of did. But coincidentally, well, not coincidentally, by design, the church had a powerful means to forgive. To get you from one state to the other. From outsider to insider. So, the early church, they both created the problem and the solution. And guess what? They were at the center of both. Baptized, you're in. Not baptized... Not quote again, quote unquote, born again, you're out. So that's clearly the very hard version of this. That's that's like the that's that's the really hard version. You can see how that power is abused. We don't have to take a long trek in history to to see that power being abused. And in order for the whole system of fear and control to work, ordinary people must believe that they are at heart evil sinful, depraved, terrible. The church had to get people to believe that. And the legacy of that, the legacy of that is awful. It's painful. And the legacy of that didn't end in the 3rd and 4th century, by the way. That legacy continues. It's a direct line to self-loathing, attributing every hardship and tragedy as a punishment, For something I must have done. Many of you have shared that your relationship with church was damaged often beyond repair by by that attitude. And by the by the by the uh, the attitude thrust upon you that your very existence, who you are at your very heart was against nature. And folks, that's still being taught. That's still being told to people today. And it's a tragedy. It's more than that. It's abusive. There are wounds there that are deep and lasting. But I also want to tell you about the softer version of this. Because I think uh, many of us, many of you, might have been raised in a more liberal kind of uh, denomination, maybe our own United Church or have little or no church experience. And that version is equally as challenging because it's amazing what version of Christianity is just in pop culture that you pick up through TV shows or movies or just like you see the worst of it and you think, oh, is that what that is? So, in these traditions, or, or in, in picking up the faith that way, there may be no spoken punishment of hellfire. You, 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 you wouldn't really hear that in many United Churches, for example. But in those traditions, there's still an unspoken, a little hint of the mysterious danger if we ourselves or our children are not baptized. Never spoken really, but somehow it comes through the, the, those, those hymns, it comes through those, those words that are spoken that we're just not quite good enough as we are. Hints of something we had to get rid of or change or take on in order to be acceptable to God or to whomever. Uh, listen to one of our folks jim spears as he shared uh, with us his thoughts last week he wrote to me i had an image of god and jesus in heaven growing up guarding the gates of admission judging whether i'd be allowed in but at the same time controlling my fate and my actions here on earth I'll, I'll share with you his part two a little bit later, but that's, that's, that's kind of his sense as he was growing up. And for many like him, baptism was something one did. It's something one did for, well, they're not sure why. Maybe because mom and dad said, oh, we should get our children baptized, okay, we'll go to mom and dad's church for that, or Whatever. But the sad part of that story is that perhaps the act of baptism lost its meaning. It became just something to tick the box, something you do as a young family with language we didn't fully embrace, a way to put our name on a roll somewhere, either in the church office or some great book in the sky, who knows. But many fall into this softer category of just not being sure what to believe. And maybe even just rejecting it all because it all seems too much. It's, it, it all doesn't make much sense. So, I'm going to put a, a period there and say, okay, let's be done with all that. But amazingly, through all of this, through all of this, there are in our tradition still remnants of something else, something simpler. And there's still a hint of that first century teacher we talk about And his followers, who had something completely different to say about this experience that we just witnessed and took in this morning. This is from the community of Mark, who shared and wrote these words. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit, as like a dove, alighted upon him, and he heard a message, you are my son, beloved, a source of pride and pleasure. This baptism has nothing to do with any of that whole first, uh, last five or ten minutes I just talked about. If you, if you look at this story of Jesus' own baptism, there's no negative talk here. There's no self-loathing talk here. There's no derision for being less than or a call to be washed of what came before and change your ways. There's no sense of any of that. As Jesus comes out of the water, he experiences a vision, a positively delightful vision of affirmation and acceptance. The whole event is an allegory for what it means to be human, to be fully alive, to be fully spirited. Each of us declared to be a child of God or a child of the universe, as we would reframe it, beloved by the very fact of our living. Instead of a pejorative, soul-killing label of unworthiness, the church was to devise, and that many of us need to unlearn. This story is a metaphor that has miraculously survived the power and patriarchy of the church to speak loud and clear that there is pleasure and pride in each of our wondrous lives. Um, I just want to show you the second part of what Jim wrote to me this week. He said, later, nurtured by SSUC, I now understand the mystery of life. The light and love moves amongst, through, and between us all. Not up above somewhere, but right here and right now. So, can we imagine, I mean, we could imagine through history, but, you know, uh, Imagine the millions upon millions who would have and would now feel and behave differently if they were told from the very beginning, which hopefully we're able to tell Daxton and Cohen, from the very beginning, you are much loved, you are spirit-filled, you bring pride and pleasure to the world. To create loving people, you need to have children who are told of their true nature and potential and then be truly loved. That's our call as parents. That's our call as wonderful aunts and uncles and friends. That's our call as godparents. That's our call as anyone with a child in their life to ensure that they know their true potential and then love them. So to begin healing for ourselves, we need to hear those words also. And that is the wonderful gift that a family and friends give to us when we celebrate a baptism. Because we need to hear the words too. For each of you within the sound of my voice, listen. Your nature and potential is love, is beauty. You are brimming with an amazing spirit, and you bring pride and pleasure to the world. That is what we do today we reframe this ancient ritual to say what has always been true that we welcome daxton and cohen we welcome and offer the commitments of our community to this family we reframe this into as sasha sagan has said a celebration of the immense brazen beauty of life and something to mark life as breathtakingly worthy of celebration So we reframe baptism into what we call one of our rituals of belonging. Because we all belong. Not in some distant future or life after this one, right now. Bonnie, you're here. And you uh, wrote to me this week in talking about baptism. And here's what Bonnie said. Baptism reminds us all that we are a community. Not just a church or a club but a place where we are wanted just because we are. Oh, Bonnie. Thank you. I'll take a breath. So this is a time in our lives, yes, because we're here this morning or because we're watching this, but... It's a time to be reminded that any time in our life, any day, in any hour, in any week, is a time to celebrate the, ama- the amazing gift of every human being. Imperfect, yes. Flawed, yes. But treasured, valuable, special, and loved. Every new life, important to their family, but also important and celebrated by the wider world. And so it's a time to support each other to say to families of all shapes and sizes that there is community that wants to walk with you, to help, to be there, to wish the best, healthiest, and most authentic future for you and your children. And in case you've never had this experience for yourself, then hear it again. The words we've used for Daxton and Cohen today are words also for you. So again, if you're hearing the sound of my voice, these words are for you. May the source of love be your strength. May the love we learn from each other be your guide. May the spirit of love in which we're immersed be your wisdom. Welcome, beloved. May we each live that out in our lives. Whatever way we need, whatever way we can, in so many ways.